0: Just go to Indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Hey, Big Screen Sports listeners. Quick note about today's episode. Uh, this interview with director Thaddeus Matula was going to be about uh, his two thirty for 30s, the Pony Excess and Brian and the Boz. Uh, pony excess is one of my favorite thirty for thirties ever, and Thaddeus was extremely generous with his time, generous with his stories. Uh, so we went all in on the pony excess this episode. Uh, so you know, in the beginning, I say we're going to be talking about both this one, just talking about the pony excess. Uh, hopefully next week, maybe the week after, going to have Thaddeus back on to uh, to talk Brian and the Boz, but. Like I said, very generous with his time, tons of great stories, as much info as I could have ever hoped for uh, to get on this movie. Hope everyone enjoys. Thanks for listening.
0: blue wire
1: all right welcome back into big screen sports the sports movie podcast brought to you by blue wire podcast and this week presented by indeed and betonline.ag i am your host kyle bandujo Before we get going, make sure you're subscribed wherever you get your podcasts. And if you haven't yet, please take the time to leave a five star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. You guys know the drill. Also, check out past episodes, as most content on this pod is evergreen. Check out, see if we've covered one of your favorite sports movies. Now, I am incredibly excited to introduce today's guest. He is the Emmy and Peabody Award-winning director of the sports documentaries The Pony Excess and Brian and the Boz, Thaddeus Matula. Thaddeus, thanks so much for joining Big Screen Sports.
3: Well, thank you, Kyle. I'm uh, really glad to be here with you, and I'm glad that you're you're doing these podcasts, and it's just exciting to talk about these two movies, Any any opportunity I get. So thank you.
1: These two are as far as thirty for thirties go for me are two my favorite, especially Pony Excess, which was very it was early in the thirty for thirty run if I remember correctly. And I've always just I'm a huge fan of this movie. You are about to get a ton of questions about it, but before we get into that, uh, you have a an, an, uh, project upcoming. Tell me about it.
3: Yeah, I'm uh, working on a screenplay uh, that we're going to shoot here early next year called "As I Live and Breathe," uh, which is a uh, a post apocalyptic film. Uh, uh, it's about a uh, an ex special forces operative and uh, and a autistic boy, a boy with autism, and uh, basically they're trying to survive the the uh, the apocalypse uh, on their own, uh, hidden away until. A person comes in who needs their help, and then they go on an adventure. So it's it really is exactly like a sports documentary, you know, in every way. That's a joke. There have
1: been, I, I will say that in the course of doing this podcast, we've covered a few movies that are quote unquote non sports movies, but it's it's incredible how often you can find a parallel between something else in sports, although a sports documentary is a whole different different kind of beast than a post-Apocalypse movie. Sure, and
3: I also do uh, conservation documentary work, and uh, it's interesting how um, doing the sports film work uh, has aided me in that, in the sense that I've discovered in doing sports docs that I can... Uh, not necessarily make, but I can I can bring people in to root for teams that they would normally not root for, um, or at least for the time of the 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 film happening, you know. So uh, I lived in Austin up until about a year ago, and so I made Brian and the Boz while I was living in Austin, Texas. And so so many of the people I knew were longhorns, and to be able to to have that movie come out and be in Austin, it was a great thing to sort of run to all these people who were able to really get behind the movie and and enjoy it, even though their fandom was of the other side. And so I've taken that kind of idea where that that if you can just connect uh, an audience member to the passion of the individual, and in in sports documentaries, it's in these team sports of the people coming together, setting aside differences, whatnot, to to go after this common goal, you can... You can bring the people in to, to root for that team. And then so using that in something like a conservation documentary where instead of uh, hitting someone over the head, like, we have to save these frogs or these other things that, that don't affect your and I, da- you know, your and I's daily life, like, it's not going to change the fact that we can go get a coffee or whatever, if this one species go extinct, but if I can bring in the people to sort of, like, understand that this is, here's, here's a guy or here's a, a group of people or a woman that that's giving their all to this cause, uh, and you just follow the persons or the, the people uh, individuals etc on this journey uh you can get the audience to root for that and whatever you know other thing you have going on it's not like you know you're not hitting them over the head but they can understand that uh, uh x y or z like uh um uh, uh, you know uh more than three quarters of frog species are uh, critically endangered and who, who who knows that and why why does that care what does it matter? Uh, but but I mean, like, uh, that's just a fact that can come come out. So I'm sure I bored all your listeners now by uh, by telling you that.
1: <laughs> well, that's the interesting thing about about documentary films, at least from there. I mean, it's just the, the nature of the film is it, it brings the, the listener this. People, a lot of people watch documentaries for new knowledge, something that you did not know getting... You like to feel immersed in a subject and kind of feel like an expert on a subject. At the end of a good documentary, you feel like an expert even though you are probably not. And one re, uh, reason that I love... I mean, the 30 for 30 series in general, but especially these two films, is that you did such a good job of taking the viewers into this college football history and and making them feel so well versed in that and t- telling these incredible stories. Because for me, as a child of the 90s, I was aware that SMU is, you know, got the death penalty. I didn't know I, you know, for Im- impermissible benefits, I didn't know what really went into that and how big a deal that was and how that came to be. Brian Bosworth, I knew who Brian Bosworth was, but and I you know, I knew of some of those antics, but I didn't really know the story of how big a deal. And you take you take the the viewer into how big a deal both of these things were. Cause again, growing up a child of the nineties and growing in Texas, SMU has been a doormat for, you know, 30 years now because of this death penalty. So it, it was very interesting. So um, you know, kind of walk me through your career, you know, how you got into the 30, how you ended up working on the most groundbreaking sports documentary series ever created.
3: Well, so my father uh, was a professor at SMU for 40-something years. Uh, He only retired two years ago when he turned 80. Uh, And has a cameo in the movie. He does. He's there. He's right there. Uh, As he's said to me a number of times, he's he's very pleased that – 30 years ago, he knew exactly the right thing to say uh, uh, to be in my movie uh, (laughs) 20 years later. (laughs) Good foresight. Uh, yeah, no, it was great. So he, I grew up. Uh, I have an older brother who's nine years older than I am, and, and obviously, when I'm a little, when I was a little kid, I just I wanted to be just like my older brother, and he loved SMU football. We had season tickets to. Well, we didn't have season tickets because we had uh, you know we had faculty tickets to to the games, and so I, I would go every Saturday, and it was just a really big part of my very early life. My earliest sports memories uh are of eric dickerson running down the sidelines uh at texas stadium with a jersey half torn off and then i remember uh uh i think it was like vince coleman for the cardinals when his leg got rolled over by uh a tarp or something like that before a game when they were anyway so those are like (laughs) I haven't, I haven't told the Vince Coleman two, one. Two ever. very
1: different uh, documentaries. You could I mean you could do an not to sidetrack. You could do an amazing documentary in those '80s Cardinals teams that were just flying all over the field. For sure,
3: I was. You know, my I'm not from St. Louis, but my whole family is. I was the first one born in Texas. I was born in Dallas, but older brother, older sister, aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, parents, uh, etc. Uh, all born in St. Louis. So my love of baseball comes from being from a a family that has that that baseball dna in it and i'm a rangers fan because i'm i'm from the dallas area i was born in dallas etc but uh but certainly because of that we we paid attention to the cardinals and that's
1: uh, that was why i was watching all those games then so what got you into uh making the getting on board with the 30 for 30s i'd imagine the story was something you wanted to tell right yeah so so uh earliest
3: sports memories were were of seeing eric dickerson uh in person at texas stadium i mean i was probably two or three years old right uh um i was born in 78 um and i just have all of these memories of how excited we were to see where the mustangs were ranked uh at the beginning of every week and in fact, when SMU uh, uh, won against Pitt in the uh, uh, December, uh, January 1st, 1982, uh, um, uh, or was it 1983? Yeah, January 1st, 1983, uh, Cotton Bowl. Um, at the end, I couldn't really read it at the time, but at the end, the scoreboard said national champions with a question mark after SMU won and I remember asking my brother what it said, and he said that, and it was, I remembered SMU definitely winning the national championship for years uh, until I was an older kid, and I understood that, no, they had given it to Penn State, uh, but the point is, is that I had this early love of this, and I also had an early love of, of art. Uh, we, we had season tickets to the smu theater uh so we went to the plays and and uh, i grew up going to symphonies and operas etc uh um just a very well-rounded uh childhood but i i knew i wanted to be a filmmaker and when i was eight years old we i'll say we we got the death penalty and when you're when you're eight uh um everything is, is is still uniquely yours i mean even though you can understand that uh, you share experiences with other people. Uh, you, the experiences that you have uh, are very um, singular, and so uh, this was something that that was mine that someone else took away, and then said that we were cheaters, and it really uh, was was crushing, and it it was like I had my my heart ripped out, and you know when you're 8 years old uh, a year is like a decade or two i mean it it's forever and then to have this thing taken away for not just one year but two years you know it was really it was really traumatizing and already having that idea that i wanted to be a filmmaker i really had this strong tie that i want to tell this story someday and uh and my intention was always to do scripted films uh, narrative films your your traditional movie movies and so my plan had always been to make what became pony excess someday as a scripted film and uh, uh once i got to college i started coming up with the idea that it was so big that uh uh maybe it needed to be a series and then i get out of school and I've never done a documentary, and I've done some films in college and had some great success uh, as a college filmmaker. I, ha- I had a science fiction film I made my sophomore year in college, played nationally on PBS. So it was, it was you know, great early things, but never, never documentaries. And I had, um, I had found myself, though, going eight years without directing a movie from uh, 2001 to 2009 and i had this 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 moment where i i had moved to austin texas in the middle of that i mean obviously everybody knows austin is in texas i don't know why i added that not boston massachusetts but moved to austin and uh, i just was like you know i need to do something or I, or i've got to stop calling myself a filmmaker And so what could I do? And I I called a producer buddy of mine and I I said to him, hey, I just want to get together. I'm going to lay out uh, all of these different film ideas that I have for you. And whichever one you're most excited about, no pressure. Uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to start on the, this following Monday and work full time on. And, uh, um, and so we talked and in the end we kind of decided that like, you know, over coffee, that, um, uh, one of my sci-fi ideas would be great. And then I asked him what he was up to and he went through all these different things. And then he ended with that. He was just helping produce a couple of, uh, football documentaries. And I'm looking at the guy and I'm like, I don't think of this guy as a sports guy at all. And then, I say, uh, well, I've got this football story I've always wanted to tell, and as the move, the, the words were coming out of my mouth. I was like, well, I, 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 I got to talk to all these people anyway. Why not bring a camera? And so I get back to my little my office. I had, uh, I had started editing uh, uh, for for money. I when I worked in. Austin. When I moved there, I took a tech job uh, initially, just because I needed to pay the bills, etc. Uh, uh, you know, your traditional early twenties beer money, etc. But I got myself to a point where uh, I at least was doing something uh, in in film, but it wasn't in film because I was just editing deer hunting videos, and I don't even hunt. Uh, I don't particularly like guns. Uh, and you gotta pay uh, the bills, I, though. You gotta pay the bills, but I. Uh, I get back to the office after that coffee meeting and I call up the guy who was uh, hiring me to do these deer hunting videos and I call him up and I say, Hey, I'm going to deliver this one on Friday. Uh, uh, and I know you've got another video starting next week that you want me to do, but uh, you're going to have to find somebody else. Cause I've got a full-time gig. And I got to tell you, it was exactly 18 months to the day after that Monday that, What became Pony XS premiered on ESPN after the Heisman Trophy ceremony becoming the most watched documentary premiere in ESPN's history. So there really isn't a metric for for that. From the guy sitting at the end of the bar talking about how he used to be somebody to the guy who's just had the the most watched <laughs> uh, premiere uh, with with this film uh, um, after again the Heisman trophy ceremony it was it was unreal and by the way I just want to go back and say one thing so that video that I was editing that week was not even a hunting video it was a seminar on deer feed I was sitting there editing a three camera Sounds shoot thrilling oh it was un- unbelievable Uh, I'm, I'm grateful that I don't remember any of it. (laughs) Um, but, but, but the point, but the interesting thing is, is that like there wasn't 30 for 30 wasn't a thing when I, when I started out on this. Uh, it was something that I became aware of and obviously started to come out as we were making this, but, but I really decided that I, if I was going to get anybody, I was, uh, I was looking at it as completely independent. And I, I, I thought if I'm going to get anybody to uh, put their money into this, I have to put my single most valuable commodity into it entirely. And that's my time. And so, uh, without any money at all, I started and I, I got Eviction notices. I got my power turned off. I got my cable turned off. All of these things, but it was all in the service of I have to do all of this to, to make sure this happens. And around that same time, uh, I was late to getting on Facebook, but uh, um, right before this happened, I had gotten I had finally gotten on to Facebook. This is two thousand nine. And one of the first friends, the first day I was on, was one of my high school buddies, and he said, hey, our friend uh, so-and-so is now out in Los Angeles, and he's just started his own film company there after he had worked for both ESPN and Fox. So a little later on, when I'm... uh, when I'm starting this, I, I think, well, you know, if I'm going to be raising money for this, it'd be nice to have someone's name in the packet that, that you know, has a tie to some sports TV. Um, and so I call my friend, uh, Michael Hughes, and I just say to him, hey, look, I have something that I, I might need your help on, um, and I really don't need you to do anything on it. Um, I just want to... Use your name in, in in the package so so that there's some kind of credibility with with ESPN and with, with Fox, he had worked, you know, on the Fox NFL, uh, studio, national, sh- you know, national Fox, not like one of the Fox sports nets. And so anyway, I just lay out this whole thing of, here's how I see the story. Here's how I want to tell it. Here's everything that goes into it really close. I have to say to the final product. Uh, and I talk for a good, you know, hour straight. And at the end I stop. And there's a pause. And then I'm like, that bad, huh? And he says, no, I wish I would have thought of it. <laughs> and and then I was like, well, look, I don't need you to do anything. I'll just, you know, I'll put your name down as associate producer and, and it'll be fine. And I was like, do you have like a bio that I can put in here? And if not a bio, um, like a, a CV, you know, just what you've done. And he's like, I'll take a look. And so the... <laughs> the The interesting thing is, uh, associate producer. There's there's a joke in one of those uh, uh, movies about about movie making where someone asks the other person, "Oh, what's an associate producer?" And you know, in this typical chauvinist smug era that this was made, the the, the response was, "Oh, that's the title you give your secretary instead of a raise." Uh so I just asked my pal to be an associate producer on this but that was really because I didn't 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 need him didn't think I needed him to do anything and so a couple of weeks later I'm putting together the packet and I call up uh, uh Mike Hughes and I and I say hey look uh do you have that bio and he said no but I'll send you uh my CV so he sends it over to me and I'm looking at it and you know we're maybe uh 8 8 eight, ten years mo- at, at most out of college at this time, eight years. And and his his resume there says that he's won like 15 Emmys. And I am thinking to myself, I don't know if I've bought 15 pairs of shoes since college. <laughs> and so, so I call him up and I was like, hey, Mike, did I say associate producer? I meant executive producer. Uh, but unbeknownst to me at the time, uh, you know, I, 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 made a bio for him. I put it in, but crazily enough. So I went to, I went to Jesuit in, in Dallas and one of the big things about, you know, I'm, this is not unique to Jesuit, uh, uh, in Dallas, but, but we were, it was really instilled in us this idea of brotherhood and that, you know, when another Jesuit grad, especially from our class, you know, would call or need help or whatever. Uh, um, you you did it, and 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 the, the brotherhood just goes deep, uh, and it doesn't it doesn't just end at your class. It extends beyond. You know, it's it's always exciting to meet someone who has gone to Jesuit, uh, and I bring all this up because my friend Mike, uh, he won one of his Emmys that that very year and uh in our alumni uh uh magazine it, it had said that two different people from Jesuit had won sports emmys that year and sports tv is a t- tremendously small world and and my friend mike couldn't believe that there would, there was another person from our high school who won a sports emmy uh, uh that he didn't already know uh and so this was just a, a, a thing to him, and, and I bring this up because the week after I ask him, will you will you be involved in this, and he says, you know, anything you need, I want to help make this happen, he's at a party in Los Angeles, and he meets a guy there at this party who happens to be that guy, that other guy from our same high school, from Jesuit, uh, uh, his partner, his filmmaking partner, and and that guy says, hey, you know, uh, my partner's here at the party, so... So my friend Mike then goes and meets this other guy who won a sports Emmy the same year. And they start talking and, you know, it's just a great conversation. And Mike asks these two guys, uh, John Dorsey being the other guy from from Jesuit. He asked these two guys, well, where did you met Where where did you guys meet? And the other gentleman is named Andrew Stefan. So John and, and Andrew, uh, they met. In college, when they went to school at SMU, and my friend Mike is like, you know what, I've just been brought in on this SMU project. So that happened very
1: serendipitous kind of thing of all these SMU Dallas people being brought in on this project.
3: Exactly. Yeah. So my my buddy uh, who went to Jesuit, who went to high school with me, he actually went to WashU in St. Louis uh, for his undergrad. Uh, but yes, it's, then then there they are in LA, and he meets these guys who who are partners and and went to SMU. And so those two guys tell my buddy, "Hey, we want to be involved. Anything we can do to help, you know, we're in." And so I didn't know about this till till months and months later. The following week, so this is just two weeks after I've called uh, my friend Mike, these two guys are in New York, and they're having dinner with an old friend of theirs who's now an executive on this new series, 30 for 30, Uh, and she is despondent because they've just lost one of their 30 films, and, and these two guys, John and Andrew, are like, have we got the film for you? (laughs) <laughs> and so they pitched this and again it's it's really months later before I hear any wind of this but but the 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 fascinating thing is when Bill Simmons initially pitched the idea of doing this 30 for 30 series it was a tr- it was initially 30 films for 30 years uh uh, ESPN was celebrating their 30th birthday and as Bill Simmons joked uh, ESPN's like the guy you know in college who uh, has his own party for his 21st birthday and buys all the kegs and uh, invites everyone over and so this was their you know their thing for 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 their 30th but when he pitched it to uh, the rest of the people at at ESPN is his higher ups he, one of the films that he had in mind was like, and of course we'll do an SMU death penalty film. And apparently they had gone as far as bringing in a production company to try and find uh, a filmmaker who would be ripe for making this. The, the 30 for 30 series as it exists now is really uh, um, not as strict rule-wise as it was in the beginning. In the beginning, it was very they very much wanted to find filmmakers who had a personal relationship to the story that they were telling. And so I ended up being like the ideal person for them. I was pretty much the only unknown uh, name of the original 30 directors. Uh, But because I had this DNA that they were looking for, it it really – everything was serendipitous. I mean I – Uh, I talk about how I don't think I believed in God before doing Pony Excess. And I don't know what it is, but something more than me wanted me to make this movie and do it on a big stage. And there's so many different signposts where it was like, I spent eight years sort of like in this, this, in the, in the hinterland of uh, emotionally, you know, what am I doing with myself and all these kinds of things. And I, I, I put my uh, I put some effort into this one thing and then all of a sudden, all of these dominoes fall, and and here I am, and it and literally like that that film would have probably taken three years if it was uh, if it was independent the whole time, but ESPN coming in and them having this new series and they've got an opening. That's why it was so fast that we got it done in eighteen months from the again the day that I started, and it was really like nine months uh, from the day we got the signed contract with ESPN where we just went nonstop. But before that I was doing everything independently and, I got to tell you, the uh, uh, I had found an investor, uh,
1: a, a a billionaire, which is pretty cool. Uh, who was Those are backing. always nice friends to have. You like having those billionaire investor friends?
3: Yeah, it was really incredible uh, because um, um, I'm meeting this guy, and it's it's at a uh, an SME function, a an alumni barbecue right before the football team, a football alumni barbecue right before. Uh, I guess you would call that a Letterman's barbecue, uh, right before the, the season started. And, and I meet a guy there who's, who's like, I can't fund what you're doing. But there are a couple people here who can. Uh, let me introduce you to a couple of them. The first one, obviously not interested. Uh, the the words death penalty at SMU uh, have always been bad words. You know, they don't want anything to do with it. But the second person he introduces me to, uh, as soon as he says the, the guy's name, I'm like, I'm like, this guy's name is on the building, and <laughs> and uh, I'm like, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep, and, and and he's excited about what I'm saying, and uh, this was outside, by the way, I have to say, and I'm selling this guy, and I'm selling this guy, and again, it's outside, and uh, I realize. I can't move until this person moves. I can't do anything to end this conversation, and I'm really, really feeling something on my ankles. So I'm standing in the grass, and he's standing on the concrete, and and I'm trying not to notice what's going on with with my ankles. And uh, finally, I look down, and I'm standing in a pile of fire ants. So,
1: oh, I literally that's st- that's a te- for anyone who doesn't live in Texas, that is a full blown nightmare.
3: It it didn't hurt until I saw it. <laughs> Before that it was some sort of annoying things going on down below uh, the bugs are out. I don't know what's going on and <laughs> it was a nightmare. I mean I was 30 minutes in that and so it was it was amazing I just slightly shuffle away to get my feet onto the paved uh, uh, part where he was standing but that, uh, that then showed that the, the conversation was over. So he stopped talking to me then, but I had stayed in it long enough that he ended up uh, being my, my big investor in the film. And even, uh, I guess, he wasn't an investor. He was he was just a donor. Um, and those up-
1: itchy ant bites probably lasted, you know, as long as it took you to, to do the film. Those things will, will hang on you forever. But once you get into actually doing the film, once you sign that ESPN contract um th- this movie is so effective because you you corralled so many people who were in the thick of the SMU the Dallas scene it, during that time. Who were some pe- who did you know you had to get? Like the film doesn't work without these guys. Were there was there an essential roster of or at least an essential person of if you don't get these people this film won't work. Okay, so
3: it's an interesting thing because I knew if if I didn't get Eric Dickerson, uh, the, the the level of eyeballs wouldn't be the same. You know, we had to have that for star, star Power. I really felt that I needed Sherwood Blunt. And, in fact, he was, like, the first one I targeted. And if you've seen the film, you know that we didn't get Sherwood Blunt. Um, and Say so, his name a lot in the film, though. Yes, we do. And so, you know, the funny thing is, is that I my biggest pitch to him was if you don't end up in the film you're going to look the most guilty. Uh, Which he um, does.
1: He looks super guilty.
3: Yeah, and I was trying to tell him that, look, here's the deal. If you come on and you present your case and you say, hey, look, I was tired of my college football team getting kicked around. I looked around, and it really seemed like everybody in the conference was paying their players, and I had become successful, and I wanted to see my team do well. And you know what? Uh, what's going to hurt? I mean, these are these are these are for the most part poor kids who are looking for a way out of their uh, their uh, backgrounds. And if I can be there and 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 and, and help them sort of like have uh, money to do something with their lives and get an education, et cetera, and I get to see winning football with it. Uh, whether or not the audience members agrees with that approach, they can start to understand at least that, you know, this is not just some sort of like evil mastermind, or I'm going to do these things and I'm going to break the rules, uh, just cause I'm a bad guy. And then I'm going to get my university punished so badly. Uh, you know, it, it totally can make sense if you are a sports fan, if you were given the argument of like, Hey, you know. Everybody else is doing it, which is the argument he would have put out. (laughs) Why? Why shouldn't we? And and so because
1: he didn't talk, he comes off like a like an unruly mobster who won't listen to anyone and is just doing this for his own accord. The the booster you got, the older gentleman whose name I can't remember, comes off as just a rich guy who likes college football a lot and wanted to help the kids and wanted to watch his team win. Like he's definitely guilty, but he comes off a lot better than Sherwood Blunt does.
3: Certainly. And I mean, like, for these, uh, you know, for these uh, guys who put the money in, they, they, that was it. It was like, for a lot of them, it was just like, I'm just going to put some money here, right? And then it was interesting because one of the guys we interviewed was a guy by the name of Robin Buteke. And, and Robin is not an SMU guy. He was a sort of semi-professional bagman. And he was one of these middlemen who brought... Uh, uh players to to uh uh money guys, etc., uh within the South Coast Conference area. And so one of the great things, I, I don't even think we really got into it in the film, but uh um Ron Meyer and his staff, not only were they recruiting these athletes, they went in and they recruited these bag men. Uh like who are the ones that are are most effective at getting X kid to X school? Can we convince that guy to be a part of our team? And, and Robin Butkey was one of those guys. And he, uh, uh, there's so many funny stories about him. Uh, you know, one, my favorite, is he walks into. Uh, a school and the the football team uh, it's it's you know it's in December the football team season and starts singing here comes santa claus <laughs> um, <laughs> um but 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 yeah so with 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 Sherwood you know I mean I even thought Sherwood would be great to invest in the film to get the film out there cuz I mean I was really convinced that like all you gotta do is make that case, and yeah, you're you're gonna be like, and people are gonna be like, oh, well, he did it. Well, of course he did it, but oh, I see why. And 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 I, I mean, the issue though with um, with Sherwood is the evidence still looks like when um, when Ron Meyer left, rather than putting someone. Uh, in charge of the football program who already knew about uh, the recruiting and how they were doing it, they brought in this this outsider from Mississippi, Bobby Collins, and Bobby Bobby Collins
1: looks like he's been run over by a train the entire film.
3: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So like uh, if... if, uh Steve Endicott who is in the film and, and uh, Steve
1: Endicott uh, was holding no secrets either. That dude right. was just straight up the best part. I think my best part my favorite part in the film is when like Eric Dickerson's like, I'm not gonna tell you about the Trans Am and the boosters like, you know, he got the car and that's that's all we're gonna say. And Craig James is like, you know, Eric's not gonna tell and then Steve <laughs> Endicott's like, Yeah, A and M paid the down payment, and then we helped him out when he got to school. I'm just <laughs> spilling everything. <laughs> Well, you know the thing about
3: Steve Endicott—he was like back then. He was a young, good-looking dude. Uh, um, uh, Ron Meyer brought him in from Miami before Miami was the U, and it was this—it was this young staff that, like, a young, good-looking staff, and and Endicott sort of really uh, uh, embodied that. And and the thing that was so a shame—you see Steve today, and I haven't seen him in a couple years, but he's—he's he's really. Uh, um life has has not uh, dealt him uh, a good hand since then, and I got the feeling from everybody that I talked to and from getting to know uh Andy that like he was the perfect person to hire to take over for ron but uh but they didn't they they went with someone again who was an outsider and the other the other thing is is that um Jimmy Johnson was, was at Oklahoma State at the time, right before he w- went to Miami. And the story is that <laughs> that the quote I got was Jimmy would have crawling across broken glass to get the SMU job when when Meyer left for uh for <laughs> New England for the Patriots. And so you kinda think if if Endicott or if Jimmy Johnson uh would have taken over, that no one would have ever really heard about this. There would have been x y and z but it would have been like i I mean all of uh uh it's so the the bad thing about being the pony access director and really loving smu football at the same time is that when i go anywhere that's a that's a big college town area and they find that out everyone has a story about X booster doing Y that they feel like they have to tell me and then be like it really sucks what happened to your your college I'm like I know and you just told me about what you guys were doing thank you <laughs> um, uh, uh, but the the idea is that um, as we portray in the film Bobby Collins really did just want to coach football and he didn't want to deal with all of this other stuff and and as the film goes into you know Dallas was was a big ego place right then and 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 you couldn't you couldn't get away with this um with with with, i'm just gonna coach football like you could in 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 starkville mississippi funny enough i just spoke to a class in starkville mississippi the the other week Uh, did a zoom call uh with them and and that saturday they ended up beating lsu which seemed like a big deal at the time because uh, that was the first game of the season for LSU, and yeah, things have shaking team.
1: out shook out weird for both teams,
3: <laughs> right? And and I have to say, you know, for the first, you know, for that next week after they beat LSU, I was like, yeah, you know, that was really me. I spoke to uh, a class on campus, and then they they beat LSU. It's it's the it's the Thad magic. You should uh, have me call and talk to your classes, and and maybe you'll win <laughs> some big games. Uh, <laughs> but, and then but, turns uh, out
1: LSU is just bad.
3: They're, I mean, historically bad. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I mean, this, uh, I obviously, they're, 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 they have to, I'm sure I heard this on a broadcast and I'm not just pulling it out of nowhere, but, but I think they're the worst, uh, defending national champion in terms of, of, of record to open the next season. It's, uh. No, they have to be. It's, It's, it's,
1: it's crazy. Um, but. Back into back into the pony excess, is there anyone who was like your favorite get or a surprise get? Because I mean, the, the roster that you pulled together for this documentary, I you get Musburger, you get Uncle Vern, you got Dickerson like you wanted. Um, so much great Dallas media. Dale Hansen, who's still out there doing it. Uh, Richard Justice, obviously, Skip, Brad Sham, voice of the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get Craig James, that, uh, that radio guy, uh, Norm. Who is, is just hits, an yeah. amazing voice? Was there anyone who was your favorite get or surprise get? Like someone who you know you didn't think was going to be on board?
3: Well, I mean, I'm going to start with the one uh, with another one that we didn't get, Keith Jackson. Um, in the book, uh, "A Payroll to Meet," which was written uh, about this this scandal right in the in the immediate aftermath, uh, um, in that book it says that. Keith Jackson called this game between Texas and SMU when SMU went down to Austin and beat them when, when UT was number two in the country and SMU was unranked. Um, but I, I, I was able to get Keith Jackson's, uh, uh, phone number. And this was like, right then he was still the number one, uh, college broadcast or no, I mean, this might've been right. No, this was a few years after he had, he had done his last game, but I'm, I'm talking to him on the phone, phone and it's—I mean—it's literally Keith Jackson, Whoa, Nelly. <laughs> the, <laughs> um, the 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 Crimson Tide of Alabama, and and I'm all I'm talking time him incredible
1: in the, voice, all time right. Hall of Famer,
3: <laughs> and he's like, "Well, Thaddeus, I've just gotten home." <laughs> and uh um and i i I say hey i want i want you in this and he's he says that he doesn't remember calling that game and he says i'm an old fool but not a damn fool i don't want to be in your show and be wrong and make fools of us both (laughs) um and um and so i didn't get him but you know i mean you know obviously i wanted to get dale and uh uh interestingly enough even as an SMU fan, I've been a lifelong fan of Dale Hansen. I was a fan of his before we we got the death penalty. In fact, when I was a little kid at a summer camp, uh, we did a fake newscast sketch when I was like seven, and uh, I played the sports caster, and uh, my name was Dale Handsome. Uh, that is oh, not a joke. Clever. Very it's
1: clever.
3: Very yes, that actually happened. Uh, 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 my my mother has unearthed a photo of that, and that is currently on on her fridge uh, <laughs> of me as Dale handsome. Um, but uh, you know, I really in the end, uh, uh, there were people that we didn't get, but, uh, there are so many people that we did get. Cause it was just kind of like, I want to talk to all these people. So we talked to, we interviewed like 86, 88 people in, in, in 60 something days or less. I mean, it was, it was crazy. We had, there were days where we were doing two or three interviews a day. It was, we were crisscrossing the state of Texas. It was, it was amazing. Um, and I mean, you know, we, uh, we got Lou Holtz just because I wanted to make sure that that, that story after we come back from the death penalty. And I keep saying we, because this was very personal to me, but, but I think if you see the film, there's not really a we perspective in it and i'll get back to that um but that uh um, uh, I wanted to get that that moment of these, com- these, these completely overmatched, uh, um, basically just one year out of high school kids going up to, uh, to Notre Dame to South Bend to play the number one team in the country and just getting destroyed. I, I really was like, Hey, if we can get, uh, if we can get Lou Holtz, uh, to give that other side of the perspective, that would be awesome, and so we went through everything, and and it's so much fun uh, being from Dallas and knowing the 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 power of the Dallas Morning News sports page, uh, at least traditionally. Obviously, all sports, uh, all newspapers are are struggling these days, but uh, that was consistently picked as. As if not the number one, one of the top three sports pages in the country, and usually number one, it won like the award for best sports section in the country. All these, you know, so many years out of you know thirty years, uh, they they definitely won it the most. And so, so you many get into people- that
1: in the documentary too, because you talk about that that competitive media environment in Dallas and that being part of the reason that the scrutiny was so big on SMU. I have a ton more questions on this, uh, but that let's take a quick ad break and then we will be right back. Big Street Sports is brought to you by Indeed. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, and you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it faster. Try it Indeed with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is our best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Big Screen Sports is also brought to you by our old friends at BetOnline.ag. The wait is over football is back you might not be at a game this year but you can still be in on the action at bet online bet online going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win the season game spreads totals team player and coaching props bet online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else you can also get in on season opening bonuses today start off wagering on wins division and championship futures all day every day and that stuff changes week to week so that's always open head to bet online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses don't forget to use promo code Blue wire bet ag that's blue wire all one word BetOnline, online your online sportsbook experts. All right, we're back, uh, talking the the pony excess with Thaddeus Matula. Um, so you, we we talked you, you assembled this huge roster, and I'm I assume you had to leave a ton on the cutting room floor, and you had a lot of these guys. The, the the type of guys you had i'm sure you had a lot of people just going on and riffing who had the best stories i feel like i could have listened to ron meyer go on forever i bet dale hansen had a ton to say about stuff from covering that team covering that town i also want to shout out rod jones i thought he was awesome uh who in your opinion had, who had the best stories if you guys were just sitting around tape rolling or tape not rolling who was the most entertaining
3: well i mean that you said rod jones is great because rod was was awesome and he told us he warned us i guess that like all of his teammates are gonna think that we found an actor to play him because he he was like in college i said nothing i never i never (laughs) talked i I, am totally different now in terms of being you know uh uh, I don't think he used the word loquacious, but that's, that's the word I'm looking for right now. Uh, but Rod was fantastic. We did, we did Rod Jones on like, uh, Memorial Day or something like that. It was, it was, it was a holiday. I'm trying to think, I always get confused, uh, as to those end of summer, beginning of summer holidays, whatever they are. But yeah, it was, it was, it was one of those days, Labor Day. And, uh, it was just, it was just perfect. It was so much fun to, to listen to him and, um. You know, I I mean, it's so, it's, there's so many highlights of, of doing these interviews and, and, and of sitting there for, for hours with some of these people. I mean, I really loved, uh, uh, um, uh, uh Brent Kershaw, uh, and uh, Brett Kershaw, uh, edit that. I really loved Brett Kershaw. I, <laughs> I really loved Brett Kershaw. He, he, you know, he was just someone who I was, told that, hey, you've got to talk to Kershaw about being on that, that 89 team, and, uh, and he was the guy who had the, the probably the line that, that, that gets the most or second the most laughs uh, when you're seeing it with an audience talking about the 89 team. <laughs> we weren't big, but we were slow. <laughs> that um, is a good.
1: one. Okay, now I know the guy you're talking about.
3: Yes, and 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 he also told the story about like when they were in the locker room and and how Force Gregg came into the locker room and was all you know just really fired up, like who are we here doesn't think we can beat these guys, and and Kershaw says, and there was that one guy who raised his hand and said, Coach, I don't think we can beat these guys. <laughs> um, but so, you know, I mean. The experience of interviewing Brent Musburger, I mean, I I can't I can't tell you how many times in the lead up to that. Uh, myself and my executive producer Mike Hughes. Also, uh, I call Mike my executive producer. Uh, uh, John Dorsey and Andrew Stefan. They were also executive producers. They were like the, the the team, as I said that that had the relationship. Uh, so those three guys were my EPs. Uh, I, I usually consistently call Mike my EP more often because he was involved with me uh, uh, from that beginning time. But uh, so Mike and I would would way too often uh, uh, just just break off on it you're looking live and and to to go to his place i actually went there with uh with john dorsey the the ep who had also gone to jesuit so we we drive out we we interviewed um we interviewed musburger at his ranch in montana and like there aren't really interstates in montana i mean like Flew into this rinky-dink airport, and then you know you get the rental car, and you have to drive out, you know, another hour or whatnot. And I'm just like, he must have an airstrip on his ranch because of,
1: of of all the travel he had to do. But um, no, oh, he has you know. to. Uncle Brent, of course, he's got an <laughs> airstrip. Come on, of course, of course, he's of course. not. He's not. Dr- he's not going to the airport to get to Vegas. He's flying to no, the I- ranch right I mean and
3: like uh, like I said there's not really interstates there there were like there were highways that seemed to be just dirt roads it was it was very it was eye-opening uh, but but we got out there and 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 Dorsey uh, John Dorsey he gets out of the car we, we both step out of the car it was like a movie scene because you get out and like it is this just this gorgeous. Giant ranch with nothing else there on this empty plain, with then mountains all around. And John turns to me and says, "Man, I got to get in the game." <laughs> it was it was perfect. And so Musburger was was aw- so that when we got Musburger, we got Musburger the 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 same trip, the same sort of mountain uh, uh, trip that we got. Uh, um, uh, um. 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 Why am I blanking on his name? You said his name, uh, but Vern Lundquist. So, uh, Uncle same, Vern. Uncle Vern. Yes. So we got Vern and we got Forrest, Greg, all all on that same trip. But like to to be there and to you know interview Musburger and for him to talk about being an SMU fan as a kid uh, was so cool because we also got that from Vern and the idea was that. Uh, for so many people, for so many years, SMU was was an afterthought, and I, I'm even talking about before um, uh, the pony uh, the Pony Express era, and then obviously after it, but. But there just wasn't the knowledge, uh, the institutional knowledge of the college fan base anymore of SMU having been this power or this this storied program that that captured everybody's imagination. I mean, like you know the old joke. Uh, it's so old you don't even know it anymore. But like the the old joke was, how can you tell the atheist in the room, the one who doesn't know who to root for in the SMU Notre Dame game, and and that was. A big joke at one point, right? Uh, but to be able to then talk to these people and for Musburger to tell me about how big of a deal it was when he was a kid to get uh, to, to get Doke Walker's autograph, it, it was really those were special things for me because, you know, if 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 your team imagine your team is smu or a team like it of which there is no other one like it but that that the, they the program has been taken away uh from you at a young age uh and you've had this this very negative thing happen with it uh um and then you are constantly both piled on about it if you're ever mentioned nationally it's only about that, and then your team keeps losing. And you know, I remember one of the reasons I wanted to make the movie is I, I have a cousin who's my age who, who grew up in Missouri, and like you know, I I just couldn't explain to him why I was a, an SMU fan. Uh, he he didn't get it. It's like they never win. <laughs> why are you Why are you a fan? And I I remembered. I'm like I'm making this to show cousin Mike that. <laughs> <laughs> that we were good, you know, and, and I, I argued to the, sco- the people at the school. It's like, you know, uh, what I want to do with this is, is just to remind people that there was a time when when SMU was really good and, and that, you know, this is this is a big deal. And and June Jones, who was the coach at the time, loved everything I was throwing down. And he knew it would be a big help for him in recruiting because. So many people just if they knew SMU at all, they thought SMU sucks, right? or they didn't know SMU or a lot of people knew that SMU sucked, but they didn't know that SMU was in Dallas. That was the that was su- such a big thing that so many people don't I mean there are people uh, until we're we're now good again. There, there are a lot of people who you know who, who were from here who really didn't have an idea that SMU was actually
1: in Dallas.
3: Uh, I was going to pretty-
1: ask you about that. What was the reaction like from people around Dallas, especially like old hands who had been around when things were good? Do you think, do you think that the film or, or just the energy around that helped? Cause SMU was, you know, like you said for, it was awful for 20 years. June Jones came in, things got kind of good. And then he, he, then he left things got not so good. And then last year I think was the first time they'd been ranked and, Ages. So as far as when when this came out in Dallas, did you get a sense of how the city, how old, you know, SMU fans from the 80s received it?
3: Yeah. You know, I mean, really, the the only people that I think are still not happy with me about it um, are maybe the highest ups at the athletic department and the president of the university. I mean, I love Dr. Turner. He's been there forever. I actually, you know, was in college at the same time as his daughter. She was an SMU theater major. Um, Dr. Turner has done a ton for the university, but he certainly didn't want anyone reminding people of this this big black eye but but i I mean I may be making it up, but I always feel like there's a little coldness when I see him uh, <laughs> and, and 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 you know, I think that like with the athletic department um, at the highest levels, it's just more like. Uh, man, if we could have just gotten through and and gotten a little bit more popular again without having that, maybe that would have been cool. But for the for the most part, like every the 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 reaction of so many people is just yes, we looked at the darkest hour of this institution, but. Uh, there's there's a lot of gratitude that 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 film uh, was put out because um, it was able to show you know yeah this ha- this is what happened and and yes uh, um, from an SMU perspective we did do this uh, but at the same time here's what we were here's where we are and this is where we're going and 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 my biggest commitment to this is that um, I wanted this to be. Uh, uh, a great film. I didn't want this to be an oh poor me story. So so as much as I've said we in this, uh, I really wanted to at every turn uh, pull away any kind of uh, bias I thought I might have in terms of just telling the story. The, the, the big thing that I felt that I had in my back pocket that 99% of filmmakers wouldn't have had, or even more, was the perspective of the 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 unfairness uh, of it. And what I mean by that is that the general media consensus of anybody who would talk about the SMU death penalty was just a negative uh, thing on SMU. There was not... Um, uh, from a media perspective, a, uh, a forgiveness factor, you know? And, and uh, I mean, I learned the reason uh, for that by doing the film, because, uh, there were a lot of, uh, of SMU boosters who were absolutely unapologetic in, in their approach to this, you know, they, they didn't take the time to, 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 well, I mean, they might've, but, but in, in, take take the time to sort of explain themselves or whatever or any of these things they just were this they, they were very much the tv show dallas you know and uh, um and, and it was all it was all a game and it was all you know where we don't have to talk and and so there was a lot of there was you know uh, uh, an unbelievable level of arrogance about it and so the media members that covered it at the time were not thrilled about that arrogance and so thus the media uh, story moving forward from that all came off of those people sort of having this this complete uh, negative view of SMU of being this this lawless place and I'm not saying it wasn't but it's really hard if you weren't on the inside to at least have that, that level of empathy. But at the same point, uh, I, I knew I couldn't go out and, and make a, an Oh, poor us type story because no one would see that, you know, no one would want to see that. And I just felt like, you know, uh, um, I, I I'm not remembering it right now. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, use the old Google machine here in a second, probably. But the the uh, the the Latin phrase that is SMU's motto is basically "the truth will set you free." And so I kept telling everybody who was on the SMU on the inside, uh, uh, just just come on and tell the truth, and and it, it'll be good. <laughs> we'll we can move forward from this because as as a fan, the one thing that I that I really felt was that there was just this cloud over, uh, SMU athletics. Uh, that just, it just felt, it always felt like a funeral for those 20 years and you couldn't, there was no getting out of it. There was no, and I was just like, look, if we can just burst this bubble, (laughs) if we can just pop this, this thing that's hanging over our heads, we can just move forward. Uh, um, but, you know, again, the the cool thing though about then having that commitment to I really want to tell the story well. Um, I got to enjoy the rise of the football program uh, in there, and then I got to have that moment where I really realized that oh my goodness, we really did this. We really did what they say we did, and no matter how much I could also show these other programs were doing the same thing. There was no way around uh, me having to face the facts myself of this, this, this thing that we did. And even if I could say, Hey, uh, I get it. I mean, like, uh, you know, these, these, the kids that were getting money were going to get money somewhere. (laughs) And we just got good at finding those kids and getting them to the same place. Uh, but at the same point, uh, you know, I really didn't have the come to Jesus uh, moment. And and you, you started this, I believe. I believe I jumped into this with, like, who was the, the most – who had the most enjoyable stories or the the, the best get. And, and, like, it's, you know, it's been uh, unbelievably – it's been 10 years now uh, since, since we did this. And, like, uh, this is you – know, my interview with you now is one of the first times where I'm sort of realizing how – um, all of that has kind of like uh, merged together in a way in terms of like the way I think of those interviews and it's just there's just such a glow around so many of them that like um, um, it's it, it it was such um, I mean it was like it was like life in wartime, you know, uh, the group that went in and we made this, this film together and, 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 you know, film in my, in my estimation, in my mind, it's the ultimate team sport in, in arts because while the quarterback or the head coach can get all the praise and all the glory, it's so many people who come together. And, and I personally, was just someone who had a passion for this, and that passion was able to attract other individuals to want and come and be a part of this. But I wouldn't have been able to do this without the amazing people around me on, on you know, on the crew, my producers. I mean, I had, I, I told you, I had never done a documentary, and 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 yes, it was immediately apparent that I had uh, some skill in it, but like uh, the. The people that were put around me were were the best in the business, and so uh, while there were there were things like passion and maybe uh, some some skills that were just innate, uh, that that wouldn't have made necessarily a great film. It was really all of these people who could 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 carry me through uh, issues and carry the film, and like uh, um, it's hard for me to talk about the film and and not talk about it as as m- my film when i'm talking very specifically like that but it it totally is our film and and for anybody who has experienced filmmaking this was one of those really team moments because we we went in and we shot this in like i was saying about 60 days where we went through and we did all of these interviews and it was just a core crew of like 12 of us that just was Crisscrossing the state, and then, and then because we again we were the 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 replacement film, etc. The same kind of thing had to happen in post production. We had we had three editors and an assistant editor, and basically when we were editing it, it was a, it was a twenty four hour a day thing. I uh, we we edited it in uh, in Venice, uh, California, in L A. And I I stayed there in Venice, a block away from where we we were editing, and didn't matter when. I went to that one-room apartment, and when I got back, like any hour, uh, I was leaving while people were working, and I was coming in while people were working. It was the, the most beautiful thing, and, and, and uh, I, uh, my initial desk in there was right next to a couple of uh, interns, and, and it, wasn't, it wasn't really made uh, apparent that he, the director was coming in, you know. It was just, here's a spot for me to work. And, uh, these, these younger interns are going through and they're watching like, you know, 1980s, uh, uh, game tapes, uh, you know, broadcasts of SMU football. And I just keep, you know, looking over their shoulder and, and, uh, uh, I'm like, man, you guys have, this is such a cool job you guys have on this. I mean, this is like, I am loving the fact that you're just getting to watch all these games and they're like, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. So what do you do on the movie? <laughs> It was, it was, it was good. I've gone way off topic on this. So why don't I let you bring me back to
1: something you want to hear about? I want to know what your favorite moment of the doc is I already mentioned. Like, I love the story about the trans a and uh, I also like the montage of guys saying the name Sherwood Blunt, which ends with Rod Jones saying what we're all thinking that is a catchy name. His name was Sherwood. Do you have a favorite moment of the documentary? Because one of my favorite categories on this podcast usually is the big chill moment, which every sports movie has a good big chill moment. Documentary is usually not the same, but do you have a, a big moment in this one?
3: When you say the big chill moment, do you, do, do you mean like the funeral scene at the beginning of the big chill? Or do you mean like uh, I don't, wh- like wh- the, so- uh,
1: the moment that makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up? It's like Roy Hobbs knocking out the lights in The Natural.
3: Ah, I see. Not like the movie, The Big Chill. Not like You're the talking... movie, The
1: Big Chill. No. <laughs> right, right, right. Because I actually really like that movie. Uh, oh, no, it's a good movie. <laughs> it's just, no, no, not, not talking about that, though.
3: No, I, you know, um, hmm. I mean, I really like the intro of Eric Dickerson. Um,
1: the uh, When uh, he's like, when it's the story about it goes to practice and says, you yeah. pick out who we're going with. I like that one, too.
3: Yeah, so that, that that's actually to, Robin Buticky is the one telling
1: that story, and
3: Robin was the one that was the here comes Santa Claus guy. Oh, that's um, incredible! That's right? fantastic. Yeah, uh, but I, I just you know I think I think maybe my favorite moment is Norm Hitzkus, uh, when when he says you know <laughs> there were teams in this state paying hundreds of thousands of dollars and winning three games. That's the definition
1: of a loser, and and, in that trademark voice he had too. I mean, you could argue best voice in the documentary. That's that that that's actually that's pretty
3: that's pretty awesome. Yes, you could. He he just it really. You know, he's got that voice of like old school radio, and he really is. He's been on the radio for fifty years. He's the longest running sports radio host in the country, in the nation, I, I believe. And he's definitely uh, the only person to have broadcast every round of the NFL draft for the past forty years, something like that. So he's uh he is a legend, and I am so glad to call him a friend. And my impression of him a second ago was not my my best impression of Norm, uh, I, I, I'd have to, uh, I'd have to uh, come in with the idea of doing a Norm impression to, to, to nail it, uh, um, or at least tell you some stories about when we went to Kenya
1: together. But that can wait for another another day. I think that can <laughs> wait for the the next episode we do together, which will be very soon. Because
3: Norm's also norm is also in uh brian and the boss and i had to argue for that because i was like he's so good in in pony excess we
1: gotta we gotta bring him back and have him have him in this one too but yes go ahead sorry oh no uh is there anything that was on the cutting room floor that you wish you could have gotten in maybe anything about some very good impermissible benefit stories or just anything you wish you could have gotten in the film that that got left out I mean, for the
3: most part, it was the stories about the, the, the other schools. And, and, and that's mainly a, a personal fan thing. Um, you know, we got people talking about the $100,000 slush fund that, that Jackie Sherrill had at a and You know, uh, we, we, we got people talking a lot about Hartley Dykes um, and Hartley uh, uh, or Hartley uh it's 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 he's he's such a legendary figure uh uh, the old the old uh uh, stories about him sometimes call him Hartley and then sometimes call him Hartley but Hartley Dykes got six different schools in 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 trouble in in NCAA violations for recruitment of him and so you know there were there were stories like that and then for me, a big theme that we didn't get to explore is the idea of of Texas really as the villain, um, and that's that there is a significant orange thread through uh, through the story, um, which uh, basically we did get to present that that uh, the NCAA uh, investigators first arrived on campus right after. SMU went down to Austin and beat number two, Texas, and it was literally the next Monday that they were on campus, uh, but we didn't get to look into how many different people who who were on the media end um, um, looking at SMU's uh, impropriety, uh, what, which is not necessarily um, – uh, an indictment on Texas in that manner, but uh, University of Texas Journalism School is a great journalism school, and they put out a lot of great people. But you have to feel like that, even uh, even with that, your perspective is going to have been like I went to this big state school where we had to do nothing, where we did nothing wrong, or that the football program did nothing wrong. Um, and and then you have uh, um, the <clears throat> the head of the infractions committee at the NCAA uh, was a University of Texas uh, law professor and a big supporter of the program. And then you have uh, uh, um, the two lead investigators uh, on 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 SMU uh, or, or investigating SMU. One of the two uh, marries DeLos Dodd's daughter, uh, so becomes the son-in-law of the the UT athletic, the athletic director, and the other one uh, eventually becomes the uh, commissioner of the Big Twelve. So uh, there there was all of these different things, and, and and certainly you know the idea of of the UT people being sort of like that program can't come in and beat us. But for me, I've just explained this all to you, and and the fun that I would have had of us sort of like looking at the SMU fan who thinks that the that, that that UT had it in for them and and looking at those actual threads, it, it, it it's it's fun for us to talk or for me to talk about, but I don't know that it would have made for like fascinating uh, TV unless we would have found like a smoking gun in there. Yeah, and- I think you
1: need the smoking gun because it would have I, I think the good part about I think why the documentary hits so well is is that it, it's not it's not making excuses. It's an acknowledgement. Um, there there's the you know, that other schools were doing this. And yes, SMU had to be the sacrificial lamb of the death penalty. And the, the reason that they'll never do it again, SMU had to walk or crawl or not walk at all. So Miami and USC and everyone else who has gotten severe sanctions could run because SMU was the, will be the only the death penalty ever, but it, if it if it had taken into account too many like another program especially UT it would have been it would have come across more I think as someone like objectively watching it as as a a, a big excuse and I, I think that the documentary was better served focused just on on SMU the the thing that when you said about Texas being the villain or at least Texas um, you know setting up kind of that storyline my first thought went to Eric Dickerson's recruiting story. When, oh. when he talked sure, about what ahead, the recruiter sir. from Texas told him. Yeah,
3: I mean, so, uh, um, you know, when when I was a kid, Texas was the Yankees of the Southwest Conference. So, of course, if you're not the Yankees, you're going to hate the Yankees. And if something bad happens to you, you're going to blame the Yankees. And it's not to say that the Yankees weren't at fault or didn't have any blame in it. But, like, not owning up to what you did, it makes it uh, not enjoyable uh, um, and uh, the thing about Dickerson, though, that that was, you know, that was such a typical story. So, so often within the film, we had, you know, we had 200 hours of, of audio for, for these interviews. And so we would often pick uh, the same. There, there were several people who had similar stories about X, Y and Z. And like, so if we had Eric Dickerson telling the story about why texas did this then we were going to use him over anybody else or if we had eric dickerson talking about uh uh, david stanley which we did we were going to have eric dickerson tell that story uh um so so the, the 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 i'm going to tell you uh my favorite moment of showing this film um i showed it to eric at his house in in calabasas and it was it was right literally right after we finished um and uh um and so this is not necessarily about texas being the bad guy anymore but it is about uh other schools and improper benefits so so i tell eric i know that i need eric to be on the side of this film because it's just going to be good for the premiere and for the the early life of the film and thus the, the rest of its life for Eric to be on board at the beginning and so uh so I call him up and i say hey we're ch- we're finishing the, the we're 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 getting the lock cut this week can i can I come up to to your house to Calabasas, and show you the film and he's he was excited about it he decides he's gonna invite friends over and so i i get there we pop in the d v d and the d v d doesn't play um oh, no. and so he's <laughs> yeah so he has invited all these friends, and now we can't watch the movie. So I called my, you know, my producers, etc. Um, again, we were editing in Venice, so it's about forty-five minutes uh, from the studio to uh, to Dickerson's house, uh, may- maybe an hour. And one of my producers, actually, I think the associate producer of the film, drove out. Uh, with, uh, with a, an iMac, <laughs> with one of the original iMacs with the, the movie on it to, to all the way out to Dickerson's house. And then we watched it on that iMac. And by the time we did, um, uh, everybody was gone. It was just, um, it was just, uh, Eric and, and, uh, um, I, I don't know if they're married, but, uh, his wife, uh, the, 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 the mother of his children, um, uh, uh, it was just the three of us watching it, um, and uh, and and he is he is wrapped in it the whole time. And when his grandmother is is on screen, he was so excited about that. Like I, I can't believe you found these clips of here. This is this is awesome. But like at the end of the movie, we've watched the whole thing, and of course I'm sweating like crazy because I, I I need him to like this film. I really really need it, uh, and and he is. But still, <laughs> it's stress. Uh, and at the end we have that ending montage that sort of looks at all the other schools and the improper benefits and, and all these different things and then you see, USC comes on the screen and he slaps me on the arm extremely hard and is like you wouldn't believe how much they offered me
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> basically yeah that uh, USC uh, uh, the who uh, whatever it was, Eric did not say, uh, that it was more than he would have gotten elsewhere, but it was pretty clear that, that that was the, the, the best offer, uh, 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 was from USC. And, and of course, you know, we even had like David Stanley, uh, within the movie, we showed that, that, that Texas Tech was, was offering him more money than, than SMU. And I, I really feel like it's interesting that the, the guys that brought down the program were, um, um, these these uh, disgruntled uh, uh white dudes who you know just felt like they were you know uh passed over and 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 felt like they were owed something and and they you know uh, i mean i just i just it, it wasn't any of the it wasn't any of the stars or anything like that, you know. It was just these guys who who felt like they deserved something and didn't get it, and 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 it was kind of you know the, both of those guys' stories that were the most key in, in sort of internally of bringing down the program. They they both uh, um, died of addiction drug uh, issues, which is I mean it's just it's it's pretty devastating um and 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 you know it's it's hard for me to to uh, vilify them but it is it, you know in the sense of like how how their lives went but it is interesting to me about how uh, the, the the people who ended up talking about it were not necessarily um um, you know, I, I it's, it, I'm going a little off track here, but, um, it's just a, it's a tough thing. You know, when you come out of high school and you're, you're the star and then it doesn't work out for you and, and, uh, and you feel like you need to find some reason why it didn't work out for you. That's, that's not your fault, especially when you're in the grips of addiction because you don't want to be in that space. And so, um, so while I say it's, you know, these disgruntled guys, uh, I mean, I, I, do feel for them and there is a lot of, uh, there is a lot of anger towards them obviously still to this day. Um, but, uh, sadly they're both, they're, they're, they've
1: both passed away.
3: Um, and well, and, and, on that
1: kind of cheery note, uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> but with, um, you know, with the good Eric Dickerson story, uh, I am that, that I'm a huge fan of this film. I think, the, the love you have for SMU showed on screen. Uh, this has been an absolute pleasure. I am looking forward to talking about, uh, Brian and the Boz in a couple weeks, which listeners of big screen sports, um, everyone tune into that. We're going to have another episode talking about Brian and the Boz and then maybe a couple comparison questions, uh, I have for, for both the films, uh, fed, where can the people find you? or Where can the people check out, um, you know, any of the work that, that you want them to see? So
3: uh, Brian and the Boz and Pony Access are both on uh, ESPN Plus. So if you're a subscriber to uh, ESPN Plus, you can stream them. Uh, You can also purchase them on iTunes and uh, and Amazon Prime. I do not get any money for uh, for buying them individually. So if you've got the ESPN Plus, don't worry about uh, uh, not having purchased it to to help me out. Uh, the 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 only uh, the only thing I get is is the joy that you've seen it. Uh, and And speaking of, if I have one second, I just want to say that I'm I'm incredibly grateful. Uh, again, thank you for for uh, allowing me to be on this and to talk about this film and to tell these stories. And and for me, it's just, it's really important that uh, anybody out there who is listening to this and uh, might have a passion for storytelling or a passion for, for anything that society might tell them it's going to be very difficult for you to succeed at this and maybe you want to get a real job or maybe you don't want to go into this thing that's just such a such a big bet uh if you can look inside yourself and 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 know that you have to do this just just go for it because this is this is our only chance at this life and if we can live uh in the present and understand that if we just put our effort into it and trust the process, beautiful things can happen. It's usually when we don't trust ourselves or or, or feel like we're not good enough. Even if we f- don't feel like we're good enough and we still take the, step, take the step towards that impossible dream, the gifts that can come from it of just following that passion and, and allowing the chips to fall where they may – the amazing thing is when when you just do it and you just take that step out into the infinite infinite uh, uh, you know in faith uh, sometimes early on in hope but in faith that your foot will land on solid ground that path is going to lead you to places that you never dreamed of. I mean, I grew up wanting to be a filmmaker and yes, I dreamed of winning awards and all this kind of stuff, uh, accolades, but really, you know, it was just wanting to tell these stories, wanting to take that kid, that little kid that I was on the couch who sat there and and loved Star Wars and not necessarily wanted to be a Jedi, but wanted to take people to these different worlds where everything could be okay. The idea of of being able to, to take this leap and to see where it went, because I did not expect, I did not know about ESPN, and I, I tell this part of the story just because we were fortunate enough to win a Peabody Award for this film. A Peabody is a, is a journalism award. I didn't grow up thinking about a Peabody Award, and, and, and the yeah, it's just the, the gift of having faith in a process or something, you know, and taking that step, uh, I just want to encourage anybody who's listening to this, uh, yes, I understand that you need to be responsible and you can't be like 29, 30 year old me that was like, I don't care if I get eviction notices, I have to go after this. That is not going to be true for everybody. But if you have an opportunity that's that's staring at you and, and, and there's part of you saying, or not just part of you, but you can hear the universe telling you or you can see the universe pointing you in that direction just just walk towards it even if it looks like a whole lot of work especially if it looks like a whole whole lot of work you will be rewarded if you if you do it
1: well Thaddeus, this was great i'm really looking forward to talking about brian and the boss in a couple weeks big screen sports listeners tune into that and we will catch you next monday thanks so much for listening